This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at the BatmanUniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hey, I'm Duff Lloyd. This is Jim Lee. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Batman Universe, Season 12, Episode 9, Legacy Number 296. I'm your host, Ian, and with me I have... This is Steph. And this is Theo. And we have an announcement to make. Um, we have asked Theo to be our permanent third co-host for the year of 2020. We still have a couple of obligations to guest hosts that we're going to fill out. But Theo will be with us the rest of the year, and we're incredibly excited. You're stuck mm-hmm. with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, like a pin. A pin the tail on the Joker. What? <laughs> I feel like that was a thing in a comic, like in the late 2010s or something. I don't know. Funny. All right. So today um, we're continuing our comicless uh, world. Um, we have a couple comics coming out uh, end of this month, and next month we do have comics listed as coming out that DC is releasing. But we're going to continue doing our uh, retro uh, reviews. Um, because Batman starts again in June. So for the month of May, it'll be Batman White Knight month for the first episode. We'll be reviewing Batman White Knight from a couple years ago, and then we'll do our recap and review of Batman Curse of the White Knight for our second episode, um, which is very exciting, a very popular series, and we'll hopefully take a look at why it's so popular and what you can gain from it, even though it's um, you know an alternate universe. But today is a different alternate universe. It's the adorable chibi universe of Batman Lil Gotham, which was created by Dustin Nguyen, artist and writer, and Derek Friedolfs, uh, writer. And I think he also does inks, but not for these because they're primarily watercolor painted and you can't really do inks on a watercolor painting. These shorts actually started with uh, two backup features in Batman Annual number 27 and Detective Comics Annual number 11. They were little two-page shorts, so I'm going to just summarize the first one of those called Off Rogue Racing from the Batman Annual number 27. Uh, Batman and Robin enter a drag race with a huge collection of villains, but even though Batman seems to be losing when Harley starts them off, he has it all planned out. The villains collide with the garbage truck, letting Batman take out the trash. So this is a a really fun little thing um, that unfortunately is not on DC Universe. The Batman and Detective Comic Annuals do not have any of the backup features, which is a real shame uh, because most of the comics do have uh, the backups in them for DC Universe, which is a, a huge recommendation for me. I would definitely recommend subscribing if you're in the U.S. or have a VPN. 
But these two-page shorts are a little too compressed for the full gags. I think that the short story format that they picked for the next phase of this uh, concept was much better for them. Uh, but these shorts uh, give us a proof of concept. They show off what the art will look like, and they sort of develop the idea of this world that's sort of like the mainstream continuity of 2008 to 2011, but it's also um, cute and and very much anime-influenced. I mentioned that it was sort of a chibi world. Lil Gotham then went on to be a digital first short for 24 months from, I think, 2012 to 2014, and it was then released in 12 24-page Actually, I think it was 22-page. I'm not sure. But 12 regular-sized floppies and then collected in two trades and then finally recollected a couple years ago in a really nice trade called A Lot of Lil Gotham. Definitely recommend getting that, and that's the uh, trade that we're reading out of. We're not going to do all 24 shorts. We've selected two shorts each, so six shorts, and we'll summarize them and provide a little commentary before we move on to the latest iteration of this universe, which is Batman Tales, Once Upon a Crime, released as a graphic novel for DC Kids. So to start us off, we'll be reading from Batman Lil Gotham, a lot of Lil Gotham, starting with Theo's selections of Mother's Day and Father's Day. And what should have been a normal mother, a normal day of Mother's Day sales at Paul's floral shop, Paul finds himself in the crosshairs of Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. Ivy doesn't appreciate the fact that Paul is selling flowers. She's going to make a flower arrangement of her own, and it's called Bloomsday. Before the dastardly duo can act out their serious crime, they're stopped. As the police barge in, they find Holly, Ivy, and Holly hyenas tied up in vines. Outside, Colin Wilkes, also known as Abuse, is climbing down the ladder. At the bottom of the ladder, Damien Wayne meets his friend. Colin asks Damien if he's looking to get flowers for his mom. Damien says no and tells Colin of his history with his mother, Talia. Before the story can go further, Damien comes up with the idea of helping Colin find his own mother, since he's lived in an orphanage since he was a baby. To do so, however, they would need to use the computer in the Batcave. Damien blindfolds Colin, and they head back to Wayne Manor. There, as Alfred prepares pizza for them, Damien used the computer to come up with possible choices for Colin's mom. Before leaving, however, he tells Colin that he needs a new uniform. Dressed in a modified Batman costume, they go to various spots looking for the whereabouts of Colin's mom. Having no luck, they eventually give up, and Damien walks his friend back to his home at the orphanage. Before Colin walks in, Damien hands Colin a dozen of roses. As Colin walks into the orphanage, he hands the roses to the nuns who have been taking care of him since he was a young child. As Damien begins to walk off, he is suddenly swooshed into the sky. 
he finds himself within the watchtower. Standing in front of him, in front of him, is no other than his mother, Talia Algu. He immediately thinks that his dad is under attack, but Batman stops him and says that he invited Talia himself. When Damien asks what Talia is there for, she simply responds that she's there for them, him, and that he is the important one to her. She gives him a huge hug. Still not convinced, he asks his father to wink as a sign of if he's in trouble. Batman responds, bats don't wink. In the end, Damien returns his mother's love. Back at the orphanage, Colin is in his room preparing for bed. Sister Agnes walks in and hands him something that was found in his belongings when he showed up at the orphanage door. It is a picture of him as a baby being held by his mother. There's a note written below the picture asking the nuns to keep him safe and to love him always. He tells his mother Happy Mother's Day, wherever she may be. The following month is a busy evening at the Chinese restaurant as Barbara Gordon is treating her dad to dinner. To her surprise, the restaurant that she's made reservations for is overbooked and they don't have a table available for them. The maitre d' gives her the option of sharing the table with another couple. Barbara takes it. To their surprise, they find out that the couple they're sharing the table with is none other than Talia and Raz al Ghul. As the two families sit awkwardly, Commissioner Gordon attempts to spark conversation. While talking, Barbara gets a phone call. It's Alfred. The boys are attempting to make him dinner for Father's Day, and things aren't going too well. They're making a mess everywhere, and eventually they begin to fight amongst each other. Back at the restaurant, Weir Shep brings the Gordons and the Algoos their food. Barbara is suspicious, seeing that the chef is wearing a mask. Before the two dads can take their first bite of food, she smashes everything out of their way. Before things get bad with the two guests, she points out the ninjas hiding in the kitchen. The Gordons and the Al Ghouls prepare for battle. Later, Bruce and Damien arrive at the restaurant to pick up a to-go order. And they find a mess, seeing Talia, Barbara, Commissioner Gordon, and Roz have taken care of their assailants. As the two fathers argue over the bill, Bruce tells Damien to grab the food and to let's go. Back at the manor, Batman and family sit down for a nice meal with Alfred. Our story ends with all of the Robins showing their appreciation to Alfred with huge hugs. Pretty <laughs>
All right. Thanks for that summary, Theo. <laughs> so um, these were actually about at the end of the first year of Lil Gotham. They were issues, let's see, that would be 11 and 12. What made you pick these? And uh, what do you especially like about what these add to Batman lore? So anyone, anyone who knows me knows that I am a huge Mark for Damien. Uh, he's my favorite Robin. Um, the attitude is just one of those things that always makes me laugh. Uh, and in the beginning, I was actually torn between three stories uh, from the uh, from the graphic novel with regards to the two that I was going to pick. Uh, and so I had to pull a Harvey and uh, flip a coin a few times to uh, come up with uh, to come up with these two. Uh, but they were all Damien centric, um, even though. This book is easily, you know, catered to kids. Um, you know, they do a, a, a great job of, of still highlighting how Damien is still quite a jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say that lightly, uh, but it's, it's those jerkish ways that he has that makes him... Uh, my favorite Robin. Uh, now, if we were reading, if we were reading, you know, either Teen Titans and, or uh, he was showing up in either Tech or or the main title, uh, you know, Damien would be, you know, quite a dick. Uh, but um, that that's been him for much of his history, if not all of his history. Um, and so, you know. They were able to highlight Damien as still being that cocky jerk that people wanted to just, you know, that you just love to hate. And uh, <laughs> I just had to go with two. But picking picking these two stories got you in the fields also, because even though you, you had these points where Damien is being a jerk, um, and he was also a jerk in the third story that uh, I was considering. But the focal point of showing the different side of the relationship between uh, he and Talia, uh, but also highlighting um, the relationship that he and the rest of the Robins and Bruce have with Alfred uh, just put me in the field. So I was, I was uh, more than willing to pick these two stories. And um, Steph, what are your thoughts on these two stories? Uh, a lot of the same lines. I do love, I love Darian. Um, and these are really, really cute. And it, it is nice that um, like Talia does get some of the love in this that some people think she needs. And so that was, that was really cute. Showing that she, you know, she does have a human side. She does still consider Damien her son, and she loves him, and that was cute. And that they do. We, one thing we kind of talked about off mic a little bit is that they're kind of altering Bruce and Talia's relationship a little bit to make it almost like divorced parents trying to raise a child together. <laughs> so there is 
polite camaraderie between the two that it's just nice to see. And I don't know, it was a good example for people, whatever. I really liked Damien's. One thing you can say about Damien, as much as he is a jerk, he does have a deep, meaningful love for his friends and for and the people he chooses, the very few people he chooses to consider his friends, like Colin. And so he really does go all out for Colin, like trying to find his mom, hanging out together. Colin's just a sweetie. As they're going to the different places to find him, he's he's dressed up as Batman. Colin's dressed up as Batman and is just doing like good deeds and hanging out with little children and being a sweet guy wherever they go. I don't know. I just thought it was really cute. And he looked good as Batman, too. He did look good as Batman. Yeah, the nice yeah. little homage to... uh. The Dark Knight Returns in that in that. Oh, the, yeah, he did. Does very much look like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where they're jumping through the air. Yeah, that is that. That's I knew I recognized that. <laughs> and then I just really liked Barbara in the wheelchair fighting with Talia and Roz and Gordon, which is a really weird team up. And I don't think we'd ever see that team up anywhere else and just fighting ninjas together in the restaurant. And I liked that Batman and Damon and Robin show up. And they're like, well, how did you know that there was trouble here? And they're like, uh, we're here for our takeout order. <laughs> we didn't know there was ninjas here. <laughs> I just thought and we're out. <laughs> and then they're out. They're like, let's get out of here. I don't want to deal with this. Um, and just the little touches are just so cute. Like the beginning of the Father's Day issue, like Lobo is yelling at the maitre d'. He's like, what do you mean you don't validate parking? <laughs> and he like takes off. And it has nothing to do with anything. It's just a little touch of Gotham in this story. And it's just so cute. And, and, and what is also what is also nice, and I didn't mention this earlier, is that this is Oracle Barbara that we're dealing yep. with. This isn't this isn't Batgirl. This is this is Barbara in her wheelchair. So it's it's post uh the killing joke. And mm-hmm. you know, I know there are a ton of people who loves Barbara as Oracle. Some who would prefer her as Oracle before they prefer her as Batgirl. So that was a nice touch as well. Yeah, I really like that. I like seeing people who are, I don't know, whatever the PC term is for for being, you know, not being able to walk, but she still can kick butt and is not about to be taken out by a ninja. Like, she can handle herself, and she is just as cool as ever. Yeah, she 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 quickly pulled out the Nightwing uh, rod. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and she's rolling over the ninjas with her wheelchair. <laughs> oh, that's great. How about you, Ian? What did you like about it? Well, I think you guys have really covered a lot of the things I like. I love the relationships and the warmth of these ones. It sort of paints a picture of a, a kinder, gentler Gotham that we might wish existed, or at least existed alongside the darker and grittier one that we know and love. I especially like all the different father and daughter and father and son and mother and son relationships that are highlighted. It gives a, a lot of variety. And the way it sort of wraps up each story with little emotional moments, especially Colin finding the picture of his mom, or at least us, the audience, seeing the picture of Colin's mom. For those who don't know, Colin is a character created by Paul Dini and Dustin Nguyen for the series Batman Streets of Gotham from 2008 to 2011. He was an orphan kidnapped by Mr. Zaz in his street fights between children 
that he ran. And he, I can't remember if it was Zaz or another villain, experimented on Colin with uh, Venom that Bane uses. So Colin transforms into a huge hulking monster. Well, not a monster, but has a monstrous appearance. And he calls himself Abuse, which... Uh, might not have been the best of name choices, but uh, you could definitely see where it was coming from. And he, as abuse, tries to save people. He, he tries to use his power for good. And it's a kind of a dark but also sweet version of uh, Captain Marvel, or, or Shazam, as he's known now. And in Colin... Yeah, in the flashbacks, ahead. it looks like it's Scarecrow who's doing the Venom experimenting. That, that very well might have been. It's been a while yeah. since I've read all the way through Streets of Gotham. I tend to read that one piecemeal because it's great in... It's got great little arcs that build into a bigger arc. And I think that this series is actually responsible for a ton of fan art and fan comics and fan fiction about Damien and... Colin being best friends. And I think, honestly, that's where... Damien is a character, I think, who really needs a supporting cast to be great. There are some characters, mm -hmm. who I think, who work really well, more solo, without a lot of interaction. But I think Damien needs a different perspective, and, and fans know that. And so they love Dick and Damien, and some people love Bruce and Damien. Um... They love John and Damien and mm -hmm. Stefan Damien and Maya and Damien and Maps and Damien. Like, there's just so many characters that Damien works well with. Um, and I think he, he really does work better as part of a duo or I, I don't know if I've seen him as part of a lar larger team. I don't like how they usually do him on Teen Titans because. Oh, I like him in Teen yeah, I, I love know. him in Teen Titans. I, I'm not a big fan. I, I don't think they, they've ever created a character who works as well as when he's been part of a duo. Yeah, that might be true. Yeah, but do not do not give him a solo book. Every no, well, I mean, that's no. the thing. Robin, Son of Batman was not a solo book because you had Maya from the very first issue and you also had... Um, Goliath, who, even though he's basically a dog, he's a huge character and a very important one to Damien. So I, it's not a solo book, even though it's titled like one. Yeah, I was I was not crazy about Son of Batman, but oh man, but it's such right. a good book. Oh no, I didn't like it. But but you're right when 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 he is a part of a team and and more specifically a duo. I think it highlights him more because whoever he is teamed up with is typically always his opposite. Mm -hmm. And so that opposite allows Damien to develop more. Um, and, you, you know, we saw it most recently in Super Sons where, you know, again, he's still this cocky, jerk that people want to beat the crap out of but you know behind closed doors when when you know john gets done with him you know they're best buds and you know they're gonna have each other's back and like Ian was saying you you can you can always get that when you when you have him teamed up with someone who is quite his opposite in personality okay so 
Let's move on to Steph's choices, which are Tropical Vacation and Comic-Con, which actually follow directly after Mother's and Father's Day. Gotham Comic-Con. Batman and Robin are hot on the trails of Clayface, and Batman manages to tag him with a chemical tracer. The villain manages to lose the dynamic duo among the throngs of Gotham City Comic-Con. The crime fighters are not allowed to enter without badges, and Batman comments how it used to be easier to get tickets at the door. Even Alfred at the back computer can't get tickets, while Damon uses more nefarious methods of procuring their tickets. Security almost denies them entry, as the only toy weapons are allowed on the premises, but the badge checker knocks himself out with Batman's knockout gas by accident. Once inside, they have another problem. The building is huge, and there are cosplay villains, including Clayfaces, everywhere. Damien gives up right away and wants to look at the comics. Batman tells him about the tracking chemical on Clayface and tells Damien to keep looking. Damien agrees, but is distracted by a poster of his favorite hero, the super ghost ninja. Batman follows some boys who are talking about an alley. Batman wants to know if they're talking about Crime Alley, but it's the artist alley that they're headed to. There's someone named Not Jim Lee who tries to hide from Batman, afraid he's an overzealous fan who wants him to draw him. Batman thinks he's Clayface in disguise. So he roughs him up a bit. Batman demands Damien's help, but he's too distracted by comics, flirting with cosplay Bumblebee, and beating up a crook, making money off of unauthorized pictures of Robin in Japan. Batman himself finds himself distracted by Simon Trent, the actor who plays Bruce's childhood TV hero, the Grey Ghost, and gets him to sign a batarang. Robin is weeding out suspects in a horde of different iterations of Poison Ivy, letting them dote on him. Claiming to be following Clayface, Robin sees that the Super Ghost Ninja is signing autographs, and he makes his way over there. Batman sees someone who looks like a more Clayface-colored Stan Lee, but his pursuit is hindered by a reporter who wants to interview the presumably cosplay Batman. Batman rudely brushes him off, only for it to be revealed shortly later that it's actually the Creeper, and the villain goes bounding off, assumably to commit some shenanigans. Batman and Robin meet up, and Robin, laden and covered in freebies and giant swag bags. Robin drops the junk, complaining about the XXL shirt they gave a child himself. The two end up at a masquerade contest, where Robin takes off with, a, with an idea. Moments later, a very poorly constructed clay-faced cosplayer with green gloves appears on stage. This is Robin. After strutting around, yelling at the booing crowd, Robin tells a heckler to come up and do a better job at the cosplay. And this per heckler gets on the stage and is now transformed into Clayface, because it was Clayface who was insulted by the poor cosplay. Batman traps him in a Ghostbuster-like vacuum tube and traps Clayface in a box. As they leave, Damien is despondent, and he tells Batman he's sad, because the Super Ghost Ninja had changed, and the one he had loved had been removed from continuity. Batman tells him that that's how pop culture works. Characters come and go, revamped and revisited. But as long as you enjoy them, remember them, and continue to appreciate them, then that character, your hero or heroine, will always exist. Batman also reminds Robin that the 80s will have to come back sometime, (laughs) with a sign behind him reminding people to sign up for tickets for next year right now. Robin asks if Batman has found his hero, and he says yes, and that he didn't have to look too far. Damien believes his dad is talking about him, uh, him himself, himself being Robin, and enjoys the moment of being praised by his father. The end. So, first question. Did the 80s ever actually leave? 
Oh, golly, yes. I go, they move. Pop culturally wise, I think the 80s should die in a fire, but that's my personal opinion. I'm sure there was wonderful things that came out of Batman, but as for. I mean, Batman year know? one, I would never give up. But. Yeah. Um, so, as a, as a child of the 80s, I will always say the world started to go to hell when the 80s played. <laughs> <away>, so. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah. But for my real first question, uh, <laughs> what made you pick this story, Steph? I love fourth wall breaking, self referencing meta stories. And those are so rare in Batman. That's why I think people really loved the Batburger restaurant in Tom King's run, is it kind of pokes fun at our desire to just put Batman on everything. And so this was just kind of cute where Batman is being stopped because his cosplay is so great. And I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was just fun and poking fun at ourselves, the fans and, you know, them, the creators and just it's poking fun in a, in a loving kind of way. I just thought it was really fun and pointing out things that are lame about cons, like tickets are hard to get and, they're busy and there's lots of illegal things being sold. And I don't know. I just thought it was fun. And Thea, how do you feel about this Comic-Con short? It was, it was hilarious. I, I <laughs> loved, I loved the pokes that they did throughout the short, uh, you know, whether it was the funny looking guy in, in the so-called Deadpool costume uh, not you know, not Jim Lee. Um, <laughs> and was that supposed to be Dustin sitting next to not Jim Lee? It, it, I didn't really get. That's actually something I wanted to ask. Is there some comic artist who just loves pirates? Because he's like, we need more pirate puns in our comics. <laughs> I think that's just like a general thing. There's a reason Talk Like a Pirate Day is so popular. Yeah, I, I I truly enjoyed it. You know, the the the, the as someone who typically uh, not counting this year, uh, who typically visits multiple cons um, every year, this this kind of puts a typical con weekend um, on paper, you know, or, or uh, on screen. Uh, it was very touching, and and again, it, again, it highlights Damien being who Damien is, worrying only about what he's concerned about. So instead <laughs> of looking for Clayface, you know, he sees his favorite character and his favorite hero, and he's off. You know, um, <laughs> you know, the art was great. You know, again, all of the callbacks to whether, especially the 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 one panel where he's. Uh, Standing, he being Damien is standing in front of the rest of the Titans in cosplay. Uh, kind of reminisces, but it it was a very good, fun story. Um, yeah, I really like just the little message to the fans that you know when Batman's telling him about his how his his hero has continuity has changed. It's like yes, things will change, but. You know, just remember what you loved and move on, but never forget. 
I just thought that was cute because it's like some people are some people hated Tom King, some people hated Snyder. It's like it's it's okay. It's okay to hate it. Your life's not ruined. <laughs> well, this came out just a couple years after the New Fifty Two came into being, so I think it was ah. much more direct commentary on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think most people agree now that the New Fifty Two had some good things and some bad things. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, let's move on to Tropical Vacation. Tropical Vacation. Bruce comes back, a little worse for wear, after a trip to Apocalypse and mentions offhandedly that he's due for a vacation. He doesn't really mean it, though. Alfred, Alfred takes this literally, and before Bruce can object, Alfred has everything scheduled and Bruce is leaving in the morning. Bruce reminisces about his last vacations Batman took, a hospital stay after recovering from surgery, the time he visited London in the 1800s, alluding to Gotham by Gaslight, and his visit to Mars to fight Martians. Alfred says those weren't vocations, or vacations and those don't count. His travel companion, Selina Kyle, is waiting outside, and the two of them are driven to a yacht where Bruce carries all of their luggage on board, conveniently forgetting the suitcase with a young stowaway and his pet turkey inside on the pier. Damien wanted to go. Barely off the pier, Bruce looks for the bat signal to make sure Gotham is still safe, but Catwoman snatches his bat binoculars out of his hands, telling him he will enjoy their tropical getaway whether he likes it or not, and he will like it. Laying in the sun and eating grapes, Bruce admits that he could get used to this. Selina, now Catfish, as she's calling herself, because she likes the water, finds an island map in a bottle that she found during her swim and convinces Bruce to check it out with her, in case it's a treasure map. On the island, on the map, they are attacked and captured by pirates, and their yacht is cannonballed and sunk, after which they are knocked out and taken aboard the pirate ship. They awake to see the pirate captain, Captain Greenbeard, and his henchwench, Helena Queenie, initials HQ, and his crew, along with a parrot that appears to know that these captives are Batman and Catwoman, though no one pays heed to the parrot. Bruce and Selina aren't the only captives, though, as it appears that Harley and Joker were also on vacation and also have been seized by the pirates. Which is funny, because they just look like just like the pirate and his henchwinch. Bruce is the first doomed of the quartet to walk the plank. He comments that this, of all times, is the time that he decides not to pack the shark repellent. Once in the water, Bruce calls one of his sunk suitcases to him via a button on his watch, where an aqua bat suit appears. And just as the rest of the group is about to become shark food, Batman comes to the rescue. Bruce has changed into the Batman outfit. After the rescue, Batman explains that he saved Bruce, and he is conveniently on the island, and Selina compares this to how Superman happens to always save Clark when nobody's watching. Batman, Selina, and Harley fight the pirates, while Joker arms and aims all of the ship's cannons on the ship's own, on the pirate ship's deck. The ship blows up, sinks, and with the aqua bat suit conveniently also being able to fly, Batman and Selina fly off to safety. Now at Outrigger Cove, two hours later, Selina is treating herself to a billionaire-sponsored shopping trip. Bruce comments on how Selina probably would like Harley to be there too, wouldn't she? But Selina imagines that Harley and Joker are probably long gone in the escape balloon Harley always packs. However, Harley didn't pack the escape balloon because she had to make room for her shoes in the suitcase, and so she and Joker are marooned on a tiny desert island. 
They also find a message in the bottle, but the bottle had been from Harley originally, and all it contains is a love drawing that she made of Joker. The end. So, uh, I was a huge fan of this because I love (laughs) the relationship between Bruce and Selina. I think it captures the playfulness and also the affection they have for each other. Uh, And, of course, it's just really cute with lots of gags like the catfish and the piracy. (laughs) And, of course, the ending with Joker and Harley stuck on the island together. Um, What made you pick this story? Uh, Well, this was... Not the other one wasn't G-rated, but this was the more fun adventure if it had been a standalone episode of Tom King's Bruce and Selena in Hawaii. Like it's, it was very, it was like the chibi version of that. And I just loved it. And seeing Selena in her <laughs> Catwoman bathing suit was cute. And I don't know. I love seeing Bruce out of the cow. That's always so rare. Even in this, I think this is might be one of the only, either the only story or one of very few stories where even in, in little Gotham, he's out of the bat man outfit and even that's not he puts it back on by the end but i don't know i just like seeing bruce chill and enjoy life a little bit even if there's pirates involved (laughs) and i like the 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 um what's it called the twist in the story where you think joker is the pirate and harley is the henchwench but no they're not they just look just like joker and harley which why you'd want to be pale and green hair i don't know but there you go. Which kind of was this ish reference, right? To uh, Batman Batwing? No, what was that called? Leatherwing, even though Joker did not play Greenbeard the pirate in that story. It kind of made you feel like you were reading Leatherwing, where Batman is a pirate for some reason. Because it's awesome. Because it's awesome. It's better than than just their zombies. Or vampire Batman. Or vampire. Oh, don't talk about There's so many vampire Batmans. There should be more pirate Batmans. There should be more pirate Batmans, definitely. Yeah, I was I was asking myself why why is Bruce coming out of the water in the Batwing costume? But Yeah, I actually had to read that a couple of times. I missed that the yacht sank the first time I read it. But yeah, their yacht sank, so all their luggage is in the bottom of the ocean. And so his bat suitcase came to him through the water and scared the sharks away. <laughs> Since he didn't have any shark repellent. He didn't have that was so cute. I love how that always comes up. I think if if nothing else comes from the Batman sixty six movie, it'll be shark repellent. And Batman always will have to have shark repellent. <laughs> Well, I also enjoyed some of the callbacks to normal continuity. Like, for one, uh, Selena does know Bruce's identity. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's you know as they're as they're flying off. You know, it's not you know we're not done here yet. We're not going home yet, uh, Bruce. Wayne. <laughs> and she clearly calls him Bruce Wayne. Uh, but the other part that that had me uh, laughing again, I have to go back to my boy Damien. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Get, Getting ditched um, and getting the keys to the Batmobile that he yeah. can freely drive once he turns 18. 18. <laughs> uh, no, and, and we all know that Damien has always tried to get behind the wheel of the Batmobile, only to be told no by his father. So at least he got halfway there. He actually got the keys in his hand. What's the turkey's name? 
What the who's name? Percy. The turkey. Per- no, there's a whole. Anyway, one of the whole issues is about Damien for this turkey, and the turkey's in the suitcase with him, and so he was trying to smuggle himself on board with his pet turkey. <laughs> oh, that was just too cute. I mean, Damien just just has a zoo, and I know they pointed yeah. out in one of the other stories um, how Damien just have a zoo of animals. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, again, a call back to the to the regular comic, you know, because there's uh, Titus and the turkey and mm-hmm. The only thing I didn't see in Little Gotham was um, the cow. I, I, I don't like remember. There was one, I feel like there was one issue where like all the animals are, but maybe I'm confusing it with something from. Yeah, and maybe I missed Super it. But I, I don't remember seeing the cow in any of the stories. Uh, but um, yeah, that 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 was the highlight of of that short for me. Just. Damien doing what Damien does, trying to be a part of it all. <laughs> and we we do see uh Bruce in the relationship with Selena as yeah. and that and that makes all things right in the world. <laughs> I do appreciate that even though Talia is like the primary woman in his life, it's more of the divorced mom who he's got a good relationship with rather than him two-timing one or the other female. Agreed. I, I never yeah. get the sense in at least Lil Gotham, although it changes a little bit for Batman Tales, that Batman yeah. is in love with Talia, but he shares a love of Damien with her, and I think that's mm-hmm. very sweet. Yeah. Yes, and there and there are no signs of Jezebel uh, Jet in Lil Gotham as well. So. I mean, does anyone actually <laughs> care about Jezebel Jet? Like, seriously? <laughs> Well, the only reason why Jezebel has been on my brain as of is um, because of the piece that I'm doing for the site, you know, which is going to be uh, Damien centered. And it's um, and so I pretty much started with um, the, the volume one of Batman and Robin with, um, you know, uh, under Morrison's run and, um, you know, you know, that was when Bruce was courting Jezebel while Damien is acting a ruckus, trying to prove his word as the heir to the cow. So, um, yeah, no signs of her. Sorry, guys. I'm not sorry. I think she's incredibly boring. <laughs> um all right, so now I'm going to share my two stories, which were Ivy in the Fall and the Grand Finale. Ivy in the Fall focuses around Poison Ivy as she muses about the seasons, loving all but fall. Harley tries to cheer her up, recruiting Selena and Mr. J in her annual campaign. However, the Joker's attempt end up backfiring and then coming around again to success by inspiring Ivy to get out and save her beloved plants from florists and pumpkin carvers. So I chose this one primarily because I wanted to highlight one of the uh, recurring elements of this series. Um, Because of Dustin Nguyen's relationship with writer Paul Dini on both Detective Comics in uh, Heart of Hush and uh, Streets of Gotham, 
he has a, a real affection for most of what Paul Dini created for the Bat Family between 2006 and 2011. And that included the super team or super villain team, Gotham City Sirens. So Noanne loves to tell little stories about Harley Quinn, Selina, and Poison Ivy being friends. And since this is a, uh, a softer and kinder Gotham, they generally don't have the kind of really evil baggage that you'll see in uh, the mainstream universe. And so it's just three girls, basically very similar to the Powerpuff Girls in some ways, um, just sort of playing off each other in shenanigans. And this one is no exception. The first one was New Year's Revolution, where Selena just wants to have a night at home and her two friends force her to go out and... Uh, revolt against bad things happening but most of them were just silly adventures and this one's just sort of being good friends and i picked this one over new year's revolution because the art of ivy um in the seasons is really gorgeous it's just, oh my god i loved it it's so stunning that was that was my favorite part absolutely so what do you guys think of ivy in the fall well it's definitely it's it's the one story that's that's very different. At least it starts very differently than the other. It's a very big shift in tone immediately, but there and just how it's depicted. Like most of the rest of the comic, you know, we've got, you know, six, seven, eight panels per page, whereas this one, it's taking a good half of a page with one panel in it, and it's just really showcasing the art and how beautiful Ivy is and like the one of picture of her dancing in the moon, like that's just beautiful silhouette and just really showing off her colors. And like, you can really understand like why she loves nature from these paintings. Yeah. If, if, if there's, if there's nothing else about this short, as I, as I kind of mentioned already is just the way that Ivy's depicted visually just the shades of green and, and orange and that reddish fiery orange that we've always known Ivy's hair to be. It was just beautiful. I just couldn't, um, I couldn't take my eyes off, eyes off of how beautiful it looked. Um, and as you looked at it, 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 you know, it was a watercolor type of drawing, but it didn't look like watercolors. Uh, it was just beautiful. That, that, that was the story for me. I did also like that Joker is kind of almost animated series Joker in his shenanigans and how Harley's just trying to stop him, even though she's also recruiting him. Those are funny. Agreed. And I thought that there were little, there's so many little touches in all Lil Gotham. And I think it's just because Nguyen and Friedolf let their imaginations run wild with whatever mm -hmm. they're, they're doing. And so you have Harley dressing up as a 1920s or 1930s gangster and talking yeah. in that really clipped, um, oh, what's that, that famous actor's name? Anyway, I can't remember, but he, he played a lot of famous gangsters in like the 20s and 30s, I think, or maybe the 30s and 40s. And um, she just talks with that clipped sort of weird diction, and it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. 
Look here, see? Yeah, yeah. Here, here's how it's gonna go, see? You're gonna give me the money, see? <laughs> um, and I I just love all the touches and the the sense of friendship between uh, the friends, you know, the, the sirens, and uh, of course, just the beauty of the art. This is one of those ones where it's clear that Nguyen just had some ideas for Ivy in the seasons and spun a story out of that. And those first three or four pages are just really gorgeous. My last story is the last story of the run called The Grand Finale. Damien practices his ninja skills above the Christmas tree, but Alfred cuts his gravel rope since he's under arrest for pranks. While Damien dreams of adventures his dad has without him, Alfred tells him that Batman is out helping people as an everyday hero. Alfred pulls out the Wayne family album, walking through all the Bat history with the newest member. As Damien falls asleep, Batman comes down the chimney and puts his son to bed, while Alfred adds another picture to the album. Bruce then tucks Alfred himself in bed, as friends all throughout Gotham celebrate. Uh, this is a love letter to the series. It was um, They managed to stretch out a uh, monthly comic um, based on holidays for two years, which is pretty impressive, although clearly he went more with sort of seasonal or even thematic ideas with some of these things like Comic-Con or The Fall. Um, I... I just love how this is a love letter to the Bat family as Nguyen uh, imagines them. So you have all the Robins, Dick, Jason, Tim, and Damien, and you have uh, the Batgirl and Oracle and uh, mention of Katana, who's a, a big character in the series. As sort of, it, it reminds me a lot of the Beware the Batman Katana, where she's a much younger-seeming character rather than the sort of like 30s, uh, Japanese widow with her husband sold in soul in the sword. I don't think there's any hint of that. She's, I think she's a teen in Lil Gotham, and of course there's uh, a scene, well, just a panel where uh, Alfred's talking about Tim Drake and he calls him Master Timothy the Brave, which I think is just a really cute little line, almost uh, poetic. And <coughs> this was <laughs> this was written. Um, just as uh, Stephanie Brown was coming back to comics in Batman Eternal. And so he includes Steph in Tim's panel, which was, I thought, a very cute nod to mm-hmm. her history. I'm sure that made you happy. Oh, I, it made me so happy. Like, I I was collecting this run from the second issue. I still don't have the first issue, but I collected all the other issues. And when I got to this one, I was I was really happy because I thought it was incredibly cute. Um <laughs> So so did you did you not get the um Batman Day issue, which I believe was just a reprint of the first issue? I went to two different comic stores and neither of them were doing anything uh, on Batman Day. I was very disappointed. I might have an extra copy. I might like you enough to give it to you. <laughs> well, if we ever meet up, I will definitely take you up on that offer. Um hopefully when this uh disease thing is running its course. Um Yes. So what do you like about this uh, finale for the series? I love, like you said, you know, it's a love letter and it's got like the big things like a picture of Bruce and his mom and dad and baby Bruce and 
the first time, you know, he's put on the bat suit. But then there's also just a random little picture of Bruce working on a car. Like, that's something that is not necessarily Batman lore, but it's something that a family would have maybe in their picture book. And then, and then it considers all the other kids' families their families. So you see the Graysons in the picture book. And, like, Tim, or is that, is that Tim? No, that's Dick. The, the first time Dick puts on the Robin costume, and he's just so excited. I don't know. It's just seeing humanity in these pictures, like the picture of Bruce sitting at his desk, and it says Top Secret on it, and he's looking at the person taking the picture, yelling at them. <laughs> or um, it's got Barbara, you know, in rehab after being in the hospital, and so there's a picture of her in the hospital and in rehab, but right under a picture of her in the Batgirl outfit. Like, it's just, it's a humanity I wish we'd see more in the comics. Like, just this picture of Damien and and Bruce uh, training. They're just wearing tank tops and leggings, probably. And they're just, I don't know. It's just so human. And I love it. That's what I like about it. Yeah, and, and you know, Ian mentioned that it was a, a love letter to the series. But I also saw it just... I also saw it as a love story to Batman and his lore period. Um, you know, again, we got all of the callbacks with the Bat family, but we saw all of those things that we've always loved about the character and those in the universe. You know, we got the pic we got the panel with Mullet Nightwing, you know. <laughs> and, and and with the cop with the disco suit and um we we see dick babs you know as we've always loved you know and it was just a, a complete callback to everything that has been batman and his history and those that make up his family including leslie tompkins so you know no one no oh we also got a touch of uh helena uh as huntress so you know nothing was out of bounds with this and and, and it was definitely a touching love letter, but I thought it extended more than just the little Gotham universe, but the entire Batman universe as a whole. Absolutely. I think that Nguyen clearly loves Batman, and he loves the idea that Batman can be a beloved figure for children as well as for teens and adults. And I love that he's created a little corner of the Batman universe that kids can celebrate without being too scared. They can have little scares of the grotesqueries of Bane or Joker, but it's also a place where they can feel safe and fun. And I think that's a really good thing to add to Batman. Let's do a rating for a lot of Lil Gotham, the whole collection. Like, out of five batterings, what would you give it? Oh, boy. Hmm. Hmm. I'd probably say four out of five. I do love the art, and I love the feels. But because it is kind of meant more for a younger audience, it does lack, I think, a little bit of depth. And the stories, I mean, they're just kind of throwaway stories but um all in all like it is totally worth owning i i don't know if you can tell but i'm actually flipping through it because i own it i don't i don't just go out and buy any book necessarily other than really like the main batman run but this was definitely worth having in my library i will definitely give it a four out of five um 
it probably could go to a four and a half. Uh, but the fact that, again, it, it, it is catered more to the youngins. Um, there's just a little bit that's lacking uh, from a depth standpoint, uh, but it's simple. It's easily a, a, a four out of five. I absolutely love it. Um, highly recommend it. If you don't have it, go get it. Mm-hmm. I agree. And uh, the lot of Lil Gotham trade also includes those first two shorts. So it's definitely a worthwhile thing. And Dustin Nguyen drew a brand new cover that wraps around both front and back. So it's value for money. Um, I'm also going to give it a four out of five. Uh, in terms of the art, it's definitely a four and a half out of five. In terms of the writing, it's sort of a three. It's kind of middling stories. And each one has a gag. Some are much more successful than others. Some of the stories are just sort of have one idea and they don't quite justify the 11 pages they're on. <laughs> um, but as a whole, it's it's just delightful. And something, instead of sitting down to read the whole thing, which I actually did do for this podcast, I'd recommend, you know, just sitting down and reading one or two because they just lift your spirits and they're they're really a delight to the eyes. Um, yeah, it does get a little overwhelming sitting there and reading one after the other. Yeah. Blend in after yeah. a while. I, I wish, actually, that they would let Nguyen do, like, a four-page backup to things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like a backup Lil Gotham to maybe, I mean, it, it would be really totally jarring to read it right after, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, James Tynan or Tom King's Batman. But, I mean, why not? I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it would be fun. Who Who could say it would not be fun? I don't know why. I don't know why I thought I heard at one point in time that there was talk of doing Lil Gotham again uh, as a as another miniseries. I know, you know, Once Upon a Crime came out, but I, I don't know where I thought I heard it. Well, but if, if if it did, I would definitely jump on on that. that well, when has always talked about wanting to do more Lil Gotham. Although when he finished the first 24 issues, he, he was done. He didn't really have more ideas because he'd sort of mind the seasons and the holidays. He didn't really have more ideas for that, but um, he, he loves drawing it. And so I think he's pitched various things. And so he might've read it in an interview or a, a con panel somewhere. Um, I know when I saw him, in 2016 i want to say it was either 2016 or 2017 he said that he was bringing um little gotham back and that ended up being the batman tales project um so that's a that's a good segue let's uh bring us to the latest iteration of little gotham batman tales once upon a crime released this spring um it contains four stories waynochio Princess and the P, Alfred in Wonderland, and the Snow Queen. So, Theo, why don't you start us off with Wainocchio? Wainocchio. Damien Wayne is sick. So, Alfred Pennyworth gives Damien his father's favorite story of Pinocchio. Distrustful of his father's taste, Damien flips through the book but falls asleep in dreams of a fractured version of the fairy tale. His father and mother, Bruce and Talia, cannot have a child. Bruce then makes a wooden puppet named Winokio, and he and Talia attempt to bring it to life, first in the Lazarus pit, then with the help of Bruce's friend Zatanna. Zatanna can only animate the puppet instead of truly giving him life. 
and tells him not to lie. Alfred, the tiny butler, conscience appears, as does Batmite, the devil on the shoulder. Tempted by Batmite, Winokio lies and discovers that his nose grows as a result, but shrinks when he tells the truth. Batmite tempts him to disobey his parents and have fun in the city, using his nose as a tool to climb buildings and get out of sticky situations. Captured by the Penguin, Damien sings on stage, then fights the villains to escape. Meanwhile, Bruce and Talia search for Winokio in the Batplane. Damien gets lured to a sinister amusement park by the Joker and Harley, where all of the naughty children turn into hyenas. Damien attempts to save them, but falls overboard from the Joker's boat and is swallowed up by a whale. After finally accepting little Alfred's advice and lighting the bat signal to call his parents for help, Dwayne spouts him into Arkham Asylum, where he faces the villains with nothing but pieces of his nose. Fortunately, his parents arrive and save the day, though not before Winokio is broken. Satana returns and changes him into a real boy as Damien dreams on. Batman comes home, picks up his favorite book from his son's bed, and leaves Damien after a nice exchange about Batman always needing Robin. So, let's talk about the cons and the pros of this first story. Uh, What are the cons for you? It's a little long. I found myself getting a little bored. I don't know, maybe bored, but just like... I don't like road trip stories. The Hobbit was never my favorite book. <laughs> and so this is like, you know, a journey of disobedience and it's just a little frustrating. I don't I don't like Pinocchio, so you know, Waynokio was never gonna be my favorite, but um that's probably the cons for me. I don't I don't I don't know if it was the dialogue that just turned me off. Um it maybe it was just a little bit too long. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't. It just did not sit right. Um, and you know, it's going to be a common theme for me. For some reason, it just didn't. It just didn't sit right. You know, the the dialogue just wasn't there. And maybe maybe it was just too childish. You know, considering that it's it's retelling, you know, fairy tales, uh, but it it just didn't. I don't know. It just didn't get to me. The the, the, the art was beautiful, uh, but the the story just did not gel with me. I think that's going to be something of a theme. Um, I. With our conversation before the podcast, I think I'm probably the most positive on this one. Um, But I I would tend to agree that each of... Well, okay, the first three concepts, I would actually think that the the last story is really good, and it's actually told in a different way that actually makes it a little shorter than the other ones. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
the first three are definitely a little longer than their concept deserves. And in fact, in the next story, is structured in such a way that it's actually a collection of shorts rather than one long tale. And I, I kind of wish they just left it a collection of shorts instead of trying to thread it together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, it, it gets really confusing in terms of the theme. Like, because, you know, Pinocchio at its heart to me is uh, about the love of a father for a son that he can't have. So he's created one and it becomes wheel. So it's a wish granted. It's also about honesty, the famous nose growing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't really deal with either of those. It sort of makes a joke out of both of those themes. And so it sort of loses the power of the story of Pinocchio. Um, And so I think honestly, this could have been a much shorter story and maybe devoted some time to to other stories or added. But uh, my guess is that, they wanted to develop a longer idea. I just think it was a little mistake in that case. Yeah, they they definitely could have fit more panels on a page, um, and probably shorten the book, it, the story itself. And, and well, one thing that might not be obvious from this is while Little Gotham was in full size format, it was originally released in half size digital first format, but then they. Um, put the pages together for a regular comic size. Um, Batman Tales is actually half-size digest format. It's a much smaller book, like all of the DC Kids and DC Zoom releases. So I think that's why the panels are so big, because the actual physical pages are not very big at all. Okay, I, I don't know why I thought it was a, a, a graphic novel, you know, you know, the regular size graphic novel. Yeah, I just wanted to share that since I, I think I'm probably the only one who has the physical copy of this. No, I have a physical copy. Oh, okay. So, I but it, it's a, a, it's a much copy. smaller it's physical it's... book. If you read it digitally, it probably does feel a little odd that it has such large panels. But I think it makes more sense if you consider the physical release format. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the prose. What are some things that you, you did appreciate about it? Of course, there's the art. And even though, yes, it is frustrating that the whole thing about parental love is lost because there really isn't that much after after he's created. You don't really see Bruce and Talia. You don't really know what they're feeling at all. And then, yeah, Damien's just lying to use his nose as a weapon. <laughs> but the fact but that to it's be fair, Damien, that is a really funny gag. No, it is. And the fact that it's Damien, it, it almost was excusable for me. Like, yes, I found myself being disappointed about the moral absence of morality but then i remember that it's damien and it's like if anyone's gonna do that yes okay it's gonna be him so that kind of made it a little more fun for me um again obviously yeah the art the fact that colin is in it even though he's one of the boys um i liked that instead of you know turning into jackasses or whatever it was in the original you know they're hyenas because it's harley and joker who are luring the boys into whatever fun forever um i loved that carpenter works in the bat cave and that the t-rex was made out of wood and the batmobile and (laughs) everything is made of wood i thought that was hilarious and like bruce has his little shop apron with a bat on it this reminds me i forgot to mention this in little gotham but um Dustin Nguyen with Paul Dini co-created the character of the Carpenter, whose real name is Jenna Duffy. She's a super almost made my top two. Yes. uh, And I I really love that story. There's one story where Jenna 
has a day off and everyone keeps calling her to try and get her to fix their their lair and it's just a very funny cute story it wasn't quite connected to the ongoing themes of Lil Gotham mm-hmm. for me to pick it as one of my stories but I, it is highly recommended I definitely recommend The Carpenter as a character in Streets of Gotham she actually gets mm-hmm. some, some solo issues or solo things going on in both Gotham City Sirens and Streets of Gotham so those are Excellent series I would recommend checking out. I, I liked, if, if there is a pro for me, um, how they expanded on the concept of Jiminy Cricket. And we mm. get this, this in, in turn, we get this traditional battle of good versus evil, you know, with the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other as being depicted by uh, Alfred and that might uh that was that was good to see you know whereas it was just the cricket jiminy in the in the uh original pinocchio story you kind of get this back and forth between those two and we also get a picture of how uh bruce and talia may act as a couple (laughs) i like that she made little cookies (laughs) they tried to make gingerbread men children (laughs) I know that there are still some Talia shippers out there. Oh my goodness. Do they not pre- search Bruce Talia on Twitter. Those people are crazy. <laughs> yes, they are. Oh my but goodness. But they would, they would appreciate the story. I mean, I think it's very sweet. I, I definitely liked, and, and Talia and Bruce just look so cute. Bruce with his glasses and Talia with her long hair. And I just thought it was a really cute little family scene. And, um, Damien being naughty was really cute. Although I love that DC or I don't know who it was, but someone felt the need of saying, this is a bad moral. Don't listen to what Damien's doing. Yes. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> there was a lot of great concepts in this story. I just think it was stretched out a little too long. If it had been yeah. trimmed by a couple of pages, it probably would have, um, you know, been a little punchier because it's, it's primarily a humorous story. It doesn't go for those, mm-hmm. those feelings, those emotional punches, except for little mm-hmm. moments. And I think if it were shorter, those little moments would have a little more weight. So, so that's our pros and cons for Wainokyo. We're going to move on to The Princess and the Pea. Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Joker, and Catwoman in The Princess and the Pea. A famous jewel is stolen, so Commissioner Gordon and Detectives Bullock and Montoya are on the case. They interrogate the suspects, starting with Harley, who spins a tale of Joker looking for a new sidekick and choosing Two-Face. Her tale includes her payback scheme with Poison Ivy, which involves framing Two-Face for the diamond theft by hiding the jewel under his mattress. Next, Ivy, who claims they were actually hit a spore under Two-Face's mattress, tells a tale of how that spore grew into a mighty beanstalk, which was destroyed by the Bat family, but not before destroying a part of the city and giving everyone allergies. The Joker claims he climbed the beanstalk into the sky and found a bat giant at the top. The police angrily reject Joker's lies, to which he responds with a fairy tale of the big bad Red Hood. In disgust, the police throw Joker back in jail. Baby Doll tells a story of Goldilocks. Then Catwoman weaves a tale of her conflicted loyalties, joining the Bat family, then running away again to be herself as a thief, though she claims innocence of the diamond. Stumped, the detectives continue searching, while the villains all believe Selina responsible. But Harley has the diamond hidden under her mattress. 
just like a princess. So let's go through our cons and pros. What's our cons for the princess and the pea, which is really about four stories wrapped into one? Yeah, this one was really disjointed for me. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't understand what the cops were asking. I didn't understand what the stories meant. I mean, I just, nothing had anything to do with the diamond other than Harley's story. So I didn't know why they didn't just arrest her. She's the one who pretty much confessed to stealing it. I don't know. It was weird and I didn't like it. And it was too long. And Baby Doll had no business being in there. There was literally no point to Baby Doll being in there other than doing Baby Doll. Which, I mean, she's cute. But and whatever. the Goldilocks. Yeah. like. Ugh. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder, again, knowing the story of Princess and the Pea, why they selected this story. Because they they couldn't get through it without inputting those other stories, interluding these other stories throughout. And by doing so, it just made, it just made everything entirely too long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you forget the, you know, by the time you get to the, the third or so many story, and of course Joker gets two stories, not one. Mm -hmm. um, You kind of lose the original point of it all until you get to the last page uh, when you see Harley laying on top of the the diamond, you know, laying on the bed with the diamond under the mattress. Makes you wonder how she actually got it in there in the first mm-hmm. place. Yes. Um, yeah, I just, I just did not get this. And uh, as much as I love the art, the way they have Montoya looking like she's actually 12. Um, just, I don't know, standing next to the gruffy Harvey Bullock just didn't look right to me. So I think that the disjointedness is definitely a weakness. Um actually appreciate that they tried to Uh, avoid the problem of the last one and just fit a bunch of gags or ideas or humorous contrasts into the story. I wish they'd kind of ditched the the framing narrative. I don't think that the interrogation really added anything. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think each story on its own is fun. And um, well, let's move on to our pros for me. Obviously the whole bat family working together to uh, fight crime was great because of course you have Stephanie Brown driving the Batmobile. You have Katana returning along with Cassandra Kane and all the Robins just fighting crime together. And I thought that, well, actually it was fighting giant plants, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> um, I do. I think the framing narrative is trying to play with this sort of Rashomon idea of adding layers to the story. So you get the idea that, Joker hired Two-Face to be his sidekick and Harley was jealous, so she stole the diamond. But um, when she recruited Poison Ivy, she added a whole layer of monster plants that attacked Gotham, and so the Bat family had to work together to capture Joker and Poison Ivy and stop the plants. And the police were left with trying to find out what happened to at the beginning, which was the stolen diamond. Um, I don't think it works as well as it could, but I can see the framework that they're going for there. So were there any pro other pros for you guys? Um, I like Selena's story, obviously, because she gets reformed and she holds Batman's hand and she gets invited to the Batcave and they have a party for her as for reforming. And it's so cute. And then she 
gets tempted back into a life of crime and steals the Batmobile. I liked that her whole little story there. But again, it had literally nothing to do with anything. That's so, true. Although I, I thought I, that was definitely a reference to the uh, the Bat Wedding in my reading. <laughs> Maybe. My one pro. <laughs> my one pro. Kite Man cameo. Kite oh, Man yeah. there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. I did. I was going to say that too. The the um, who else is there? There's a whole bunch of people there. A bunch of people trying to be. There's the polka dot guy, quilt, quilt man. Who's the guy with the watermelon on his head? I can't who? remember. But uh, was was Condiment King in there too? Maybe it is Condiment King. It kind of looks like something. Anyway, but I like that. That was funny. Yeah. Although Two Face would never be a sidekick, that's just ridiculous. That was maybe the stupidest <laughs> thing of the whole thing. Two Face would never be Joker's sidekick. I mean, to some extent, I look at this as similar to if you had a bunch of kids who had a bunch of Batman action figures and and made a thing, <laughs> <laughs> similar to what I call uh, the Once Upon a Time TV show, which is someone bought two three-year-old girls all of the Disney play sets and they decided to tell the story because that show is whack. <laughs> um, although although Harvey and Holly colors is pretty nice. Was that an episode? No, no, no. In, in in the issue. Oh, their yeah. colors, yes. Yeah, where where he's he's not black and white; he's in red and black, and yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. I did like that too. I mean, I think all of us are going to say that the art is a consistent thing throughout all these issues, even the weaker ones. It's just really fun to look at. All right, so let's move on to our third story: Alfred Pennyworth in Alfred in Wonderland. <laughs> Alfred goes mad when the tea is missing. Finding a cup in the bat cave, he drinks it, but shrinks down to the size of a mouse. He then eats some cake and grows so large that he breaks Wayne Manor and causes a flood. Back to his regular size, Alfred rescues Damien's animals, then floats off to Wonderland, where he encounters rogues like the Cobble Pillar, the Cheshire Catwoman, the Clock King, who is late, and finally the Mad Hatter, who has captured the Bat family at a mad tea party. Unable to snap his beloved family out of the villain's control, Alfred jumps onto the table, leading the villains in a mad chase, running into the Joker's court. Cheshire Catwoman attempts to help, as well as steal some crowns, but they are both caught and sentenced by Red Queen Harley to lose their heads, but Cheshire Catwoman poofs them away with her smile. The king becomes joker Walkie Dragon, and Alfred runs back into the Mad Hatter's party, spilling tea over the hats and setting his family free to fight the villains. After they are victorious, the Mad Hatter grows to giant size and vacuums up the world, as Alfred is woken up by Batman in Wayne Manor, having been drugged through the tea, which was from Mad Hatter's collection. So, what are your cons for Alfred in Wonderland? Well, unfortunately, like Pinocchio, Alice in Wonderland is one of my least favorite stories. <laughs> oh, it's just, I hate, I hate Stories with people who don't use logic and who are mean and can't be reasoned with. And so the Queen of Hearts, I can't stand her. I don't like the grumpy caterpillar. Just I already hate the story. And so <laughs> but but yeah, so I guess we're not doing pros yet. But so yeah, it is based on one of my least favorite stories. Um and again, it's 
super long, which is why I don't really like Alice in Wonderland. It's just it's so long, and it just goes from one thing to another, and it's just all frustrating. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to continue beating up on this one. <laughs> I, I, I've never been a fan of Alice in Wonderland, no matter what rendition they've put it out in, whether book, comic book, cartoon, movie, what have you. Uh, it's just never been my thing. Um, of all of the stories, and this this includes Lil Gotham, this might have been the story where the art really didn't sit well to me. I don't know why, and maybe it was because I was already turned off by the story itself. Um, but there were just there were certain panels of it that seemed almost as if they were done at different times than the actual story itself, and it just felt off. Um, yeah, but I, I don't want to continue beating up on it. I think those are definitely fair points. I, um, interestingly, did not read or see Alice in Wonderland um, until a couple of years ago in a grad school class, and I was not particularly impressed with it, but... <laughs> um, Thankfully, I didn't choose to write any papers on it, so I didn't have to try and make anything make sense in my head. I actually thought that the art really made this, and the little... To me, this one was fun because of all the the in-jokes. I really liked the fact that Cheshire Catwoman was... Yeah, I thought that was just brilliant to make her Cheshire Catwoman, and she sort of saves the day, (laughs) similar to how the Cheshire Cat in the Tim Burton movie saves Mad Hatter. And, of course, building up to the Joker wonky, I thought that was sort of a, a DC Dark Knight's metal reference where the Joker dragon, you know, was a thing. So, to me, I enjoyed all the the in-jokes, and I, I really liked the art. I thought that there were some really clever things. And I liked the ending with it being revealed that Scarecrow had spiked his tea, which was causing <laughs> these hallucinations. And then... Yeah. And, okay. and now he's going to spike the... Pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> yep. And it sort of reminded me of the, the Twilight Zone, you know. It never ends. Never ends. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's to me, I think it's it's a lot more fun because I don't hate Alice in Wonderland. I don't love it either, certainly, but um I loved all the in jokes, and so I think this one landed a bit better than the first two for me. And let's move to our final story, Batman and well, Mr. Well, I have Fre- a couple of nice things to oh, say. Oh, right. Sorry. Go <laughs> ahead. <and laughs> okay. Add some praise. I don't want people to think I'm a total whiner. Um, I love that Alfred saves Damien's animals, and that's one of his priorities, even though it turns out none of it really happened. And as opposed to, well, I guess I've probably read and seen Alice Wonderland in other media other than the Disney movie, but... I don't like it, so I choose not to remember as much. But I do like that Selena kind of is the Cheshire Cat, and she does help him, and she's not a completely useless mockery. And then just the different roles that the villains play at the at the table, I thought that was kind of kind of cute. But in a enjoying it on Pinterest or or Instagram, kind of cute. Not having to read the whole story, kind of cute. <laughs> so yeah, I did I did like not necessarily the art, but but the depictions of the characters was was cute. And then I love the, yeah, the little reference to the, oh, what are they called? The Royal Flush Gang, which is perfect. Because I guess that must, I guess that must come from Alice in Wonderland to begin with. 
But yeah, I thought for for it being one of my least favorite stories of all time, Alice in Wonderland, it it did an okay job. And one thing I liked about the three, the first, the third, and the fourth story is that they are all kind of dream. You can really go crazy. Like, Damien will never have a wooden nose, and, you know, Alfred will never actually go to Wonderland. And, and the third story, you know, we're telling is definitely very ethereal and dreamlike. Um, even though it's not specifically said that it is a dream, there's no way that it's reality. Whereas the second one really kind of falls apart because that's not. It's forcing reality to be a fairy tale when it's not. And so I think that's where kind of the second story also fell apart for me, apart from the other three. Good thoughts. Did yeah. you have any pros, Theo? No. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's move on to our final story, The Snow Queen. The Snow Queen. Batman searches for a man through a wild snowstorm. The Snow Queen appears to Batman, giving him a ride in her carriage and helping him survive the cold. They find the green woman, who does not have the person he seeks in her garden, but has hidden her roses because they remind Batman of his lost parents. Batman thanks her for the kindness, but cannot stay. As they continue, a crow tells them where to find the man they seek in an ice palace. Batman overcomes the icy wolf guardians with the help of the Snow Queen, and they find Mr. Freeze alone and frozen. The Snow Queen kisses Mr. Freeze, and Batman digs him out. The queen disappears once Mr. Freeze is free, and he and Batman both learn that they must avoid becoming frozen in time by memories, both good and bad. They head off together, free. So, once again, let's get started with some cons to this story. Well, this one really isn't... Like, there's no real plot. This one is just very dreamlike. I didn't actually have two cons for this one to be honest other than like i said it's not really a story it's concepts i think more if there is one con for me and and of the four stories this is this is the one i dislike the least <laughs> uh this was actually not a bad story at all but if this anything i might have enjoyed a little bit more dialogue mm. in there i mean it was a very quick week quick read you get through it you know rather quickly um i might have enjoyed a little bit more dialogue uh in the story that's that's about it for me i think the only real con i have is that it's such a, a break from the storytelling of the previous mm -hmm. three. But I, I like the, the storytelling that this one chooses. It's basically a picture book. And it's told almost entirely through the art. And it's the most sincere. And it really goes for the emotions. And it only has four characters. It has Batman, uh, Poison Ivy, the Green Woman, Mr. Freeze, the Frozen King, and the Snow Queen, which I think we're meant to think is uh, Nora Freeze, uh, Mr. Freeze's wife. And I think it really works to get the theme of not letting um, your memories, even your good memories, from keeping you prisoner, from keeping you frozen. 
So what are some pros for you guys? This is one of my favorite formats of storytelling where it is like, I like the magical element of telling a story, not just necessarily what's going on, but like the, the very grim fairy tale-ishness of once upon a time there was a man and like i don't think they yeah they do they do call them batman and mr freeze and stuff like that but it's not it's just very poetic and even though there's no rhyming and no real iambic pentameter but it's just a very ethereal story and the art oh my goodness i started doing water painting lately and this is just drool worthy art through the whole story and there's no panels in this one like you said it was a picture book like each page is its own panel and it's just absolutely gorgeous there's almost no lines it's almost all just no it is all just like watercolor and it's absolutely gorgeous and ivy is beautiful once again and um Snow Queen is beautiful. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the original Snow Queen story. <laughs> this one doesn't even try. It just uses her as a as an element to tell a Batman Freeze um character study, but I I I really like this story. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I'm not gonna comment too much on the art aspect of it. Uh you know, as Steph said, it was absolutely beautiful. Uh, and and the contrast between the scenes with uh, the Snow Queen compared to that with Ivy is just beautiful. Uh, the one pro to me, and and we kind of talked about it prior to uh, recording, is how they humanize uh, Victor Freeze, mm-hmm. uh, and you know. There's always stories about how sometimes, you know, villains think they're actually heroes and that they actually think they're the good guys. Uh, but of all of the villains in in Batman's rogues gallery, you know, Freeze is probably the only one who really doesn't want to be a villain. You know, he's only doing what he's doing because he wants to save his wife. And, you know, here, you know, Freeze is humanized. You know, he he's dug out, and by the time the story ends, he's no longer Mr. Freeze. He's Victor Freeze, you know, and I, I, love, I love that aspect of the story. Absolutely. I think that it, it's really amazing, the emotion that this one story um, can evoke. And even with some of the disappointments of the first three stories, I... I think this story really makes all of the collection worth it. And I definitely am glad to add this to my little Gotham collection. And I, I hope that Nguyen takes, I hope he um, figures out some things that worked and some things that didn't and figures out a new way either to tell another of these graphic novels or maybe another digital first series. I think this is really good. Definitely the highlight of the whole mm-hmm. Batman Tales book. So let's uh, let's give Batman Tales Once Upon a Crime a rating out of five batarangs. Mm, I'd have to say... T- I'm in that thing again where three seems too high and two and a half seems too low, and I don't know what to do about that. So whatever <laughs> whatever we would do about that, that's what I think we should. I would say. But yeah, I just am really disappointed by the first three. And I guess that's necessarily his fault, like... 
I don't like blaming artists, rating artists based on my taste, but I guess I wouldn't have read it if I don't, I don't like the first three. Two and a half out of five. Yeah, I, I'll give it. I'll give it a two and a half as well. And I had a much less negative reaction to um, the second and third stories, so I'll I'll give it a three and a half out of five. It's a bit more than average for me, and the art, especially for the last story, really lifts it out. So that I think it gives it like a two point seven five, or maybe a three out of five. <laughs> I don't know what the the math is off the top of my head. Definitely recommend getting a lot of Logotham, and if you really want more, this does give you more of that, even if it's not quite as punchy as the originals are. Um, and you get a preview of Zatanna, House of Secrets, and and what's the other one? Batman Overdrive, which is a little weird. <laughs> well, if you want to learn more about Batman Overdrive, check out Theo's review on the website, as he did our review for that uh, last month. Uh, good review, too. Yay. So, thank you to our patrons and supporters. Uh, the Bat Fan Appreciation Wall today lists Gerald Green, Donald Townsend, Tim Garassi, Captain America, Karinas, Mary Garrett, Real No Deuces, Stanton's Grave, Brendan Roberts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Ed Grouse, Rob O., Ian Miller, Arturo Juarez, Stephanie Mounts, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, Hannah Gar, and Johnny McCloskey. Thanks for your support. You help us keep the podcast going. That wraps us up for this week. Join us next time for Batman White Knight by Sean Gordon Murphy and Matt Hollingsworth. I've been Ian, and with me I've had... This is Steph. And this is Theo. And join us next time for more of the Batman Universe comic podcast.